It's a gospel on the radio talk show. A show about dreams and visions and a church that is indeed triumphant, alive, and well. For the church triumphant is alive and well. Hello, Tallahassee. This is the Gospel on the Radio Talk Show. I'm Pastor Jack King. I am your host, and I am excited as I always am on Sunday mornings to be here with you on 94.1. We always talk about dreams and visions and a church triumphant, alive and well. We just talk about the church and all that God's doing in his glorious kingdom. I have a few rules. We don't talk sports, politics, or doctrine, but we do always speak well of one another. And this is show number 1074 today. And that reminds me to remind you that if you are involved in Christian ministry, I'd like to have you here on the show. I'd love to interview you, talk about your passion, because passion is what drives this show. What is it that God's doing in your life that you want to talk about? And we want to tell the whole Big Bend area, Florida and South Georgia, and people listening on the internet. But today, I have Brother Paul Riscala. He is a a uh, professor of philosophy at Hillsdale College. And that just excites me, Brother Paul, because I've been hearing about Hillsdale College for as long as I've been listening to talk radio. And I've never met anybody until you. I met you. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wonderful <laughs> to have you on the show today. Now, first of all, let's get to know you a little bit. Yeah. And uh, did you go to school here at Florida State? Because I know you lived here for a while. That's right. Yeah, okay. I, I did my PhD here uh, in philosophy, 2015 to 2021, and I only just recently moved up to Hillsdale to take this new position. Okay, so I I fell in love with Tallahassee when I was here. I, I grew up in New York, sort of lived all over the place, but most recently my education career took me through Tallahassee and now up into very cold Southern Michigan. Oh yeah, yeah. But now, how did that happen that you ended up in Tallahassee, at so, Florida State? Yeah, I um I had a really unorthodox uh, educational career, I would say. I started off uh, in pre-med, actually. I was planning to become a physician. Both my parents are physicians. Okay. And somehow in college, I sort of got, uh, I got bit by the philosophy bug. (laughs) I was reading C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton and church history and theology. And my my faith was sort of dovetailing with my academic interests. um, And I decided to go and study philosophy instead. So after I finished undergrad, I went to the UK, to the University of Birmingham, to do a master's in philosophy there, and I just, I kept falling in love. I loved talking about the big questions, I loved thinking well, um, and I loved just being in a community of people who wanted to do that, uh-huh. so that was really rewarding <laughs> for me. Um, came back to New York, did a master's in theology, was interested in theology, but always felt philosophy sort of calling me back. Mm. And then uh, I applied to FSU and got in. They've got a great program. And um, I was initially hesitant to move from New York to Tallahassee, and it didn't really grow on me. But So uh, there's just several different schools. I mean, you're, you're living in New York, and you're thinking, okay, I've got to find a place to go. So, yeah. so you just checked out different places. That's right, yeah. And then Florida State just turned out to be the one. Yeah, so I got a couple of offers, and Florida State flew me down to, to check things oh, out. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I spent a weekend here, and... I uh, I liked it. I liked the community. I liked the department, and thought this is where I could be for the next five years of my life. And 
made the decision to come and down not here. having a freeze in new york for five years that's right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh yeah <laughs> although <laughs> it's the opposite uh the opposite problem over here with the humidity and the heat and well but that's only about four f- bus out of the summer we, we, <laughs> we can tough that up <laughs> to me i think it's it's almost like it's it's really may to october where it's well, really it just, just depends on how you view it i see. guess so yeah see, i work out in it all times it doesn't affect me one way that's right yeah <laughs> so, you've, you've been here a lot longer than yeah, i have well you, you adjust to it that's you right really do. that's and, right and you have to readjust every year right because right. you get spoiled during those wonderful glorious yeah. months in yep. the fall and the winter here yeah and then all of a sudden here it comes but you know but now tell me you you said you both of your parents were physicians that's right what kind <clears> of doctors were they so my oh, are they i guess yeah yeah, yeah. my my family is egyptian so okay. my parents grew up in egypt my dad did um, obstetrics and gynecology he was an okay. OBGYN, and my mom was uh, internal medicine and okay. so they both uh, they actually met working in a hospital there together fell in love got married and um i was born there i was born in cairo and my dad won a green card to come to the U.S. You so, say you won it. Yeah. How did, what does that mean? So most, most people don't know this, but the U.S. gives some countries a certain number of green cards to give out as sort of people can apply for them and then they, they get it sort of via lottery, I think. Um, and so I don't know if they still do this, but this was the case in 1993. Okay. So <laughs> my, uh, my dad put his name in the lottery and won the green card and was able to bring me and my mom over and we... Uh, we moved to New York and, and started and, and a new he life was there. able to continue as a doctor. Well, he had to he had to convert his credentials and redo a residency and all this sort of stuff. So it did take several years to to convert all of that stuff over. Uh, my mom never converted her credentials over, so she uh, I have three younger siblings, and so she stayed home and raised us. Um, so gave up that part of her career, okay. but my dad uh, does uh, emergency medicine right now. But there was there a period of time when he was unemployed because he was having to go through all this process. Well, it wasn't unemployed. He was he was working other jobs. Okay. He was you know whatever he could get his hands on. Really? Just, uh, oh yeah, like, yeah. Like what? Um, he was he was washing dishes. He so, was so working a in a man restaurant. He was a doctor. Yeah. Comes to America and now he's washing dishes for a living. Yeah. Because he had a goal. That's right. I yeah. think that's I think that's an incredible story in yeah. itself. It is. It's an incredible. And, and that had to have spoke to you. Oh yeah, as, as a child, you're watching your dad. He's doing whatever. It's like a one of my children asked my my wife. She said, "What? Well, how did Daddy do this?" So I'm mm. Talking about me, he raising a family. Right. He said he did whatever it took. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> and, right. And that's like your dad. He yeah. just did whatever it took. Yeah. And it really it's a it sets a good picture for ambition and hard work oh, and yeah. excellence yeah. and and self-sacrifice and so i really had uh, i had that modeled for me well from a young age wow yeah so and then of course watching him as a as a doctor mm-hmm. this just became a natural draw to you absolutely yeah but remember, then it wasn't really the doctor you're you'll be a doctor <laughs> but you're a different type of doctor that's right yeah <laughs> i uh, i remember my dad would come home with stories from the er and it was just really exciting and i loved health classes growing up and biology and uh, that always there was there was always a really strong pull for me, and so when I went to college, I thought naturally this is what I was going to study. But uh, then I began to you know sort of afflicted with being torn in two different directions, and kind of went through an existential crisis in college. Not sure what I wanted to do, but um, yeah, I I don't regret the path that I've taken. I'm a different kind of doctor now, but mm-hmm. uh, hopefully one that uh, can do some good in healing people's minds. <laughs> now let's talk about faith. Yeah, where, where did this come in in, in your life? Was, were you your parents Christians or yeah. in, in Egypt? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is, is that uh, common? Yeah. Um, my my parents are Coptic Orthodox, and so I was baptized in the Coptic Orthodox Church. 
Um, I grew up sort of more evangelical, though. Um, my, we attended different churches, Lutheran, yeah, evangelical. Um, but it wasn't really until the end of my high school career and the beginning of my college career that I began to take my faith seriously. Um, and again, it, it, it did dovetail with my interest in reading church history, learning theology, learning philosophy. And I began to, uh, to see that my life required transcendence for meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I gravitated more towards Reformed theology and, and began, I guess, experimenting, you right. might say, although that now, makes now it sound me, weird. <laughs> tell me about the, the Coptic. Now, I know we yeah, have a yeah. Coptic church here in Tallahassee. We do, yeah. I met some of the uh, young people. I was at a restaurant somewhere, and okay. they had shirts on, and I was yeah. just curious. And, and uh and they explained a little bit to me there, and I said, well, I want to get your pastor on the radio show. Yeah. But it never has happened, and, and that's, that, show, that church is out there on Bradfordville Road. Mm-hmm. That's right. And they used to have a bus sitting there. Okay. And it had the phone number on it. Okay. But every time I'd come through there, and I'd come through there quite often, I could because there's no place to get off the road. There's a ditch on the other side of the road. <laughs> For me to just get off the side of the road and just write that number down. Yeah, yeah. And this went on for years, and then the bus is gone now. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> so, but I would love, I mean, if you know anybody that goes to that church, I'd love to have somebody on the show. I but, don't, but I'm sure we could find it online. I'm sure. <clears throat> uh, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if Drew, if that's right, over to yeah. Drew, he'd have that done. <laughs> that, that Drew's here in the room with us. He came as a friend. Yeah. <laughs> but, Okay. Yeah. To explain it. So the the Coptic, we might have to do a little bit of church history here. Right, but uh, in the um, in the fifth century, there were some debates between the uh, Egyptian Church and the Western Church on the nature of the incarnation. Uh, and so, part of this was just terminological. But the Western Church ended up adopting the language of the incarnation is. Uh, Jesus is two natures, one divine, one human, and one person. And then the, the Egyptian church <clears throat> adopted the language of one nature, a mix between human and divine. Wow. And so there was, there was a bit of a terminological dispute about how to articulate the incarnation. And so it, uh, it was a bit of a different, it, it took, it, it took a different, um, a different historical trajectory. Okay. Now, how's that going to affect, uh, Salvation. I, I don't think it doesn't. Um, okay. And there, there have been, I mean, the, the, the Coptic Orthodox Church and uh, the Western Church have come together and written joint statements on Christology and acknowledged sort of these were historical differences that were ba- basically just people using words in different ways. But ultimately, we all believe Jesus is fully man, fully God, and that's the important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as salvation goes, it's the same kind of thing. It is a... Uh, it's a very liturgical tradition. It's a very old tradition. Legend uh, or tradition says that it was founded by the Apostle Mark, who went to Egypt in 68. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and so there are churches in in, in Egypt where um, it's said that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus came and stayed. And uh, so I don't know how much how much uh, is actually true of these, but this is what tradition says. Yeah, I find yeah. that to be fascinating because not too long ago I did a. Uh, full teaching on the gospel of Mark to my church. Okay. And I learned so much about his writing style. Right. And now when you tell me that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) To me. Right. Okay. So now when you came to New York, Mm -hmm. did did your family stay with that tradition? 
Um, I, I would say my parents started moving away from the Coptic Orthodox tradition uh, towards more just sort of broadly evangelical Christianity. And yeah. and even though I was baptized as Coptic Orthodox, I grew up very evangelical. Okay. Um, so, so the Christianity that I knew in childhood was mostly... Um, non-denominational or Baptist or low church Lutheran. Okay. Yeah. Now, when you say evangelical, yeah, and yeah. I pretty much know what it means. Right, right. In your term terminology, what does that mean to you? Um, sort of uh, an emphasis on personal conversion, personal encounter with God, okay. um, a very high view of Scripture, um, not, not as big of a role for church tradition, um, not very explicitly liturgical, uh, things like that. So, in in the in the personal church, relationship, yeah, personal relationship, yeah, yeah. 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 And that, that's that would be what my number one thought, right? When right. I think of that, yeah, that would distinguish us from others who believe that Jesus is right. But to us who are evangelical, we believe that Jesus is our friend, right? I mean, we have a personal. We talk to him, yeah, yeah. He talks to us, yeah. And some people think that's silly. That what God talks to you, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. I mean, in so many ways, and Scripture even tells us that he does. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Oh, you get me excited. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so you're in New York, mm-hmm. uh, born in Cairo, Egypt. That's interesting in itself. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so now you, you ended up here in Tallahassee, Florida State University, mm-hmm. switched your major. Yep, yep. <laughs> Disappointed my parents. <laughs> really? Well, initially, I guess there was a little bit of it was it was it was a it was a massive change. It was totally altering the trajectory of my career, and so I I think I sort of even shocked myself when I did it. But uh, I felt that it was the right thing to do. I felt called into it. I thought my gifts were being affirmed in this area, and so that's sure. what I decided to do. Now, if you were to stay in the medical side, yeah. What kind of a doctor would you have been, do you think? Oh, I would have liked to be a cardiologist, but I don't know if I'm smart enough to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you seem pretty smart to me. Well, (laughs) (laughs) but then again, I don't really know. uh, know, That's just a totally different world from any world that I would even know anything about. Yeah. But the the thing is, is that I know it takes a long time for a person to become a full-fledged Doctor, yeah, yeah, and then I think a lot of times I say, "Well, they say, well, so and so doctor retired," and I'm thinking, "Wow, it took a long time to get there, and now they still have all this knowledge in their mind, yeah, yeah, and they're not going to use that anymore." I'm just, that just kind of blows my mind. But then again, it blows my mind that Gene Decker off retired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so, right. That's right. <laughs> but I, my wife, she says, she says, she says, not everybody wants to work to they go to the grave like you do. Talk about me. So <laughs> some people just need some time off. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But the thing is, philosophy is that's that's the itch that you like to scratch. Right yeah, there. that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that I I I okay. live for that. So what? brought you to Hillsdale College. What happened there? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, there's an answer that I'm going to give that might not sound super in- interesting, but uh, they offered me a job and the job market's really bad. <laughs> um, I, I applied to 200 academic positions and it's not uncommon for uh, new PhDs to do that. I got a couple of offers and Hillsdale's was the best. I like the culture on campus. And so I, I took them up on but that. Now, Hillsdale is is again. I have not been there. Yeah, I know actually very little about it. But the reputation that I have heard mm-hmm. 
through talk radio. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard of Hillsdale College in any other way other than what I hear from the, the big talkers. Right, uh, right. You know, Limbaugh, Levin, Hannity, mm-hmm. and, and, of course, in the, the little uh, commercials they do. Right. But I'm highly impressed because one thing I, I've heard is that they don't take any type of financing from the government. That's right, yeah. <laughs> they don't. And for people like myself, who I consider myself to be very conservative, mm-hmm. but yet, and I said this uh, last Sunday on the radio show, on this show, was that I'm the same person I've been all my life. I mean, I grew up in rural Kentucky, in a little uh, Christian church, mm-hmm. uh, followed ministry from that path. I've always been a Christian. I've always believed in the sanctity of marriage right. and, and all of these things. Uh, I'm, I've been married one time. Don't plan to be married to anybody else. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been this way all my life. But now, all of a sudden, I'm a radical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, right. so Hillsdale College appeals to me. Yeah. And I'm sure it appeals to a lot of people yeah, like yeah. me. That's right. So is that one of the draws to it? Or, or like you said, well, they offered you a job, but, yeah. but you took it. So you must have some leanings that way. Absolutely. I when I when I visited the campus for the interview, I, I was very impressed with the quality of students and the Students were there to learn, and they took their education very seriously. And I liked that um, in a philosophy class, we could we could do philosophy, we could do primary texts, and we could talk about big questions: what is what is justice? What kind of person do I want to be? Um, what what is the relationship of of God to humanity, or ethics, or human nature? And uh, th- that aspect of 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 doing high quality education with students who really actually cared about the material and were there to learn, uh, that was super, super appealing to me. Now, what does it take for a student to actually be accepted at Hilltop College? Because you're saying there's only about 1,400 students. That's right, there. yeah. It, it is It is very uh, competitive and selective. And I think last year they were the most competitive college in Michigan. Um, and it really? looks like, yeah, the... The enrollment is is staying steady, but the application uh, numbers keep going up, and so it I'm is, just curious. Of, I mean, you probably don't know, but how many people do they turn away? I mean, oh well, I, I think I think we're between fifteen and twenty percent acceptance, and so really? yeah, that's um, amazing. So for every one, I guess there were five okay. people competing for that spot. So, so give me a uh, a sketch of the young person that they choose. What's yeah. that person like? Um, I, I, I think there, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of different kinds of students that you find on campus. Um, a lot of the students are religious. There's a lot of Christian students, but it's very ecumenical. Uh, there's Catholics, Orthodox, Evangelicals, Reformed, Lutherans, uh, and then you've got non-Christians as well. So it's not, uh, the school doesn't require students to have any sort of faith commitment, mm-hmm. but there is a very strong Judeo-Christian culture on campus where students tend to, of their own sort of free will, and, and having these kinds of discussions on campus, there is a natural curiosity about uh, Christianity. And so that's that's one thing that happens sort of naturally and organically. Uh, but, but the kind of student that you'd expect a Hillsdale student who is open to learning about the best that the intellectual tradition has to offer. So they really want to wrestle with the the most high quality material, the best philosophy, the best texts, what they call a great books curriculum. Like the, these are the books that have withstood the test of time. 
And these students have the conversations in class, out of class. It's not surprising to find students on campus at 11 p.m. arguing about the nature of the Lord's Supper <laughs> or really, something like really, that. Yeah, really. it is. It is just incredibly <laughs> academic, uh, um, edifying place to be. And wow. I, I found that really enriching. I'm looking forward to reading a book that. I thought I had, but it turns out I only had the study guy. It's called The Last Supper on the Moon. Oh, right. Okay. Are you familiar with it? <laughs> no, no, no. Is that fiction? or No, 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 no. And I had not read the book, but basically the the, the uh, astronauts snuggled the communion elements. Oh, right. Okay. Them. And they, and the first thing they did when they got on the moon was Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have not read the book, but, okay. but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But it's just interesting you said that. Yeah. That the, they, they're, they're arguing about the, the Lord's Supper. Right. But now... If a young person is not conservative, would they be accepted? Yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. We've, we've, we, uh, I, I imagine most of our students are pretty, uh, I mean, center right, but okay. we, Hillsdale is not, at least in their admissions policy, trying to in, in, enforce a kind of ideological uniformity. We have students who, who disagree, but who, who want to, to learn and they're, they're there for open exchange. Uh, we take very seriously the idea that the, the college and the university is supposed to be, a marketplace for the exchange of ideas. And so we want the best ideas out there, whether it's from the right side or the left side, and we want people to be exposed to the best and then make up their minds. And so one thing that we don't want to do is just uh, build an echo chamber or isolate students or only give them one side. But we think that uh, the truth, if it's, if it's the truth and it can, it can withstand scrutiny. And so we can find the truth wherever, wherever it resides. And so we don't have to, to shelter students from the strongest arguments. We, they read Marx. They read uh, all these guys on on the on the non-conservative side, right? right. Nietzsche, right? Every philosophy class is Nietzsche, and yeah, the idea is we wanna we wanna be exposed to the best that everyone has to offer, so we can get a better sense of where we should come down on. I'm just fascinated by this, yeah, because again, my knowledge of Hillsdale College mm-hmm. comes from the infomercials from talk radio right and the idea or the concept that there could be non-conservative students on that campus <laughs> is kind of blowing my mind really okay <laughs> but it's okay yeah yeah, yeah. i'm learning here right right because obviously what you are doing is, is working yeah because what i understand you all turn out top level graduates yeah and highly sought after mm-hmm. is that not right that's right yeah absolutely. so people are wanting to hire Graduates from Hillsdale College. Mm-hmm. So, so what happens to a student? Is it possible that they'll go through a whole four-year curriculum and still not be a conservative? Um, I think that that's definitely possible. Uh, the, <laughs> I don't. I don't think the curriculum is aiming to make students conservative so much as it is to expose them to what we call the Western intellectual tradition. So that's from Socrates to Immanuel Kant, and then on the on the great book side, they're reading. Chaucer and Dostoevsky and C.S. Lewis and the it, it it really is just the best that civilization has had mm. to offer in terms of books and philosophy and music and literature and it's a it's a liberal arts curriculum in in its nature and so students come out of it with more sophisticated nuanced views and whether they're conservative or not they still have hopefully a uh, a better respect for 
human dignity, the sanctity of human nature, the importance of our obligations to our fellow man, and uh, and, and self-government, right? Um, citizenship, things like that, commitment to civic ideals. And I, I think it's about trying to build informed citizens to go out into the world, um, you know, irrespective of, of what sort of political uh, affiliations they might take. Although right. a lot of them do end up more conservative. That's true, <laughs> just by the nature of the college. But uh, I don't think that's the goal to make everyone but conservative. But if you had a, a student there who was not of a conservative bent or whatever, and they begin to be a rebel rouser, I mean, you know, like some of the things that you hear and are seeing out there in society where people are rioting and doing all these things and, and, and a and they're wanting to do things that biblically would just be, well, we just wouldn't hear of it from yeah. our faith. Mm-hmm. Would that student be allowed to stay there? Well, the the college does have a um, uh, any sort of like no platforming or or uh, protesting at speakers. That just doesn't happen on campus. There, okay. There's a very strong culture of if a speaker comes to campus, even if you disagree with them, you go and listen and you raise a good question in, in the in the Q and A section. That's that's how the marketplace of ideas is supposed to work. Um, so so we don't have any any sort of that sort of thing. That would not be tolerated. And and the kind of student and the kind of culture that Hillsdale has would just not that sort of would would just not even be something that someone would think to do. Um, given that everyone seems there to learn and be exposed to the best that the other side has to offer. Because I know um, I went to a small Bible college right out of high school, okay? And uh, there was a student there who had a different um, concept of Christianity mm-hmm. than I did at that time. I actually, I've gone more his way. Okay. <laughs> and I guess he must have had a, a little bit of influence, but he was influential. Right. Not in the classroom, right. In other words, he was talking to me down at the little break room. Yeah. And and so this is kind of where I, this is in my mind. I'm thinking about you know we've got this student here at Hillsdale College. They're not conservative. They're more this. How much are they influencing the other students? I mean, I I, I think that it can be good to to think about things from alternate perspectives. At yeah. least at least to be able to understand what the strongest arguments are on each side. And so I think. One way forward in our sort of polarized culture is even just to, one, have conversations across the aisle to see what it is that other people actually believe, uh, to recognize their humanity and begin to, you know, I think, I think part of, part of what makes America so great is we can have people who can disagree profoundly, but who can live alongside each other sort of amiably and take the time to understand each other's positions, even though right. they might walk away still. Well, I, I believed that up to a few years ago. Yeah, I, I do think things have yeah, changed. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. It doesn't seem to be that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, we are far more polarized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but I, I'm just asking these questions because I see I'm, I'm the audience here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. As, I'm, as you may be uh, laying things out to me that I've never heard before, uh, people who are listening are here doing the same thing. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you're absolutely right that uh, if if your values can't stand scrutiny, mm-hmm. then maybe you need to think through it a little bit more, maybe to even just to refine your arguments. Sure, yeah. <laughs> to, to, be able to, to be able to do that. But also, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of this institution. How long has it been around in hundreds of years so far, right? 1844. I mean, 1844. That's and, right. And through all these years, it has withstood the, the, uh, the tide yeah. of... Liberal thought, um, it's, it's, it's withstood 
political things, all the upheavals and all these things, they're still standing. It, it actually has a really interesting history. It was founded as an abolitionist college. Really? Yeah. And uh, it, a sizable portion of the student population, the male student population, volunteered to fight in the in the Union in the Civil War. And Fred- Frederick Douglass actually came to Hillsdale and gave a couple of talks. And so there's a there's on, on our on our Liberty Walk on campus. There's a couple statues. One is to Lincoln. One is Frederick Douglass, right opposed to one. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. It was uh, <laughs> the first college in the U.S. to admit women, and the first college in the U.S. to admit African Americans. Really? Yeah. That's, yeah. good. That's quite a tradition yeah. there. So it has a really strong heritage. Yeah. So, so you're talking about students actually left the college to go fight? To go fight in the Union. And there's, the there's Union a memorial Army. on campus. Uh, a lot of them uh, died in, in, uh, in the war. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that's pretty powerful. Yeah, it is powerful. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so quite the legacy. Uh, and and uh, uh, Stephen Douglas, uh, I mean Fre- Frederick Douglas. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. wrong Douglases. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew who they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, th- th- just to have him crossing state lines like that right. in those days. Yeah, that was pretty powerful statement yeah, itself. Absolutely. So now, so you have a statue to him, and you also have one to Lincoln. That's right. But, but Lincoln was never there. I don't think Lincoln was ever there. Someone told me that he might have mentioned Hillsdale College in one of his letters, but I have not. Uh, don't don't quote me on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 1844. That's just a few years before the whole. That's right. Whole thing started. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a pretty uh, strong statement. Yeah. There. Yeah. Well, okay. So you take that history from there, and and they've had the same conservative values pretty much. I'm talking about the people who are in charge of the college, mm-hmm. and it's withstood all these tests of times. Turned out a lot of great students who are out there in life and trying to make a, a better society. Right. And then you come along. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been there now? Uh, this is my first year. I haven't even finished okay. a full year there. So two semesters. Right. Yeah. And so how's it going for you? I love teaching there. The students that I've taught there are among the best students I've ever taught anywhere. And I genuinely enjoy being able to wake up and interact with and discuss and think through the big questions with groups of students who really care about their education, who really want to be exposed to the best, who really care about listening to each other, and who are, who are there to put in the, the hard work and the time and come out of there better better people, better thinkers. It is it is an absolute delight and joy to, to teach those now, students. Is it a uh, four-year program? It is a four-year, yes, undergrad, be it bachelor's, yes. So now no master's degrees or doctorates? Or there are. So there, uh, there's a couple of master's programs. There's a master's program in classical education, and there's a master's program in, there's a master's and PhD in, I think, political science. Okay. Yeah. Now, your course of study mm-hmm. or, or, or your teaching, is it, does it have a title? Philosophy. Uh, well, Just plain I, philosophy. I, I teach. I teach different classes. I teach a class called the Western Philosophical Tradition. I've taught bioethics this past semester, and in the fall, I'll be teaching philosophy of mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought we might want to explore those things. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. We get back. Sure. <laughs> We're gonna let the let the professor go to work here, and <laughs> we'll we'll be your class for <laughs> because I you know I'll, the the same again one more time. Western philosophical Western tradition. philosophical tradition. Bioethics. Okay, what's that? Bioethics is the ethics of the stuff that happens in medical contexts. Biotechnology, um, abortion, uh, healthcare research, Ooh. euthanasia, organ harvesting, uh, genetic engineering, things like that. 
Oh, we definitely got to get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Radio audience, thank you for tuning in this morning. This is the Gospel on the Radio Talk Show. I am Pastor Jack King, Brother Paul Riscala, Professor of Philosophy at Hillsdale College. He's my guest today. We've been getting to know him. But when we come back from this little time, we're going to play a little gospel music for you. We're going we're to put him to work. <laughs> I thought we'd just play a little hymn for you. So Mark Trammell Quartet. Quartetti, hideth my soul here on the gospel on the radio talk show. Now, if you like gospel music, I'm talking about real southern gospel music, then you're going to want to join me Saturday nights at 7 o'clock here on 94.1 for the Saturday Night Gospel Sing. See, I knew I had a professor of philosophy or something like that coming on the show, so I took it easy on him. <laughs> we crank it up on Saturday. <laughs> I have the pastor of Freedom Road Christian Ministry, 720 Capital Circle Northeast, in a storefront over on Capital Circle. And we love having visitors come and worship with us. Uh, 1105, if you're on Capital Circle and uh, heading toward Park Avenue, the first on the right-hand side of the road, you'll see our sign out there on Sunday morning. Like I said, we love visitors. Come and see us. You can also find this show on the podcast. It's show number 1074. If you want to listen to it again, share it with a friend. You won't get to hear the song we just played, but you can hear the rest of the content. And I invite you to do so. And so all of those good things. And, of course, if you want to contact me for any reason, area code 850-567-1703. Now, Brother Paul, let's have that list again. Yep. Western philosophical tradition. Okay. I'm going to skip that one for right now. Okay. We may get back to it, but okay. I, want, I, want to hear, I want to hear about this medical thing. The, the bioethics? The bioethics. Yeah. What, what is it? Tell us all about it. Bioethics is the, the field of study that tries to think well about our, 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 our medical practices and biomedical practices uh, from an ethical perspective. And so we want to try to figure out how to how to make decisions well in a in a in a scientific context. And so questions that arise uh, typically you talk about abortion, euthanasia, genetic engineering, um, patient privacy, doctors and conscience, uh, sort of anything that touches on uh, biology, medicine, and you can ask an ethical question about it. That's uh, sort of a big can. How okay in the the process of hiring a professor, mm-hmm. how did they know that you're going to fit their profile? What, what, what they would want this professor to be? That's did, they, a, did they hear some of your teaching before? I they mean, did. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I went through a pretty rigorous uh, interview. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I, I went to campus and did a teaching demonstration and a research presentation and interviewed with uh, all the different administrators and faculty and students even and uh yeah how often do professors come and go at hillsdale oh uh the academic the academic world is uh 
when when you get a job and it's a permanent job, you sort of stay there unless you have unless you have reason to leave. Okay. So turnover is uh, is pretty low for for permanent positions. Okay. Um, because yeah. because again we're we're talking about keeping the integrity of who they are. Right. And but you've got all these different people coming and going to teach. Right. And then you're turning this professor of philosophy loose on these yeah. young people. Yeah. Now do they? Uh, are, is everything recorded? I mean, to the big people, I mean, the president and all the people, they they hear what you're telling these kids? Oh, well, in, in the in the teaching demonstration, it's, uh, you know, a bunch of administrators sit in the back and they're grading you and taking notes and it's very intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine. Oh, yeah. But I even, I'm talking about even in your classrooms, do, do they record? No, not in classrooms, no, okay. no. Okay. They, uh, they sort of... Uh, they trust that uh, the people that they hired are going to do a good right. job, and and I, I guess that's happened on the whole. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm having a, a, a feeling that these people who are sitting there when you're doing your test runs, and yeah. this, they're looking at your heart as much as anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the Scripture says that the mouth speaketh. That's right, yeah. And it's kind of hard to hide something. If it's there, that's right. They're giving you plenty of opportunity, yeah. <laughs> to reveal it. You spend a couple of days with them over, over the course of the whole interview, and so they they've got a lot of opportunities to see your character, the way you talk, the way you interact with other faculty and students, and and they're really trying to see if you're going to be a good fit with uh, with their vision and culture, and do yeah. a good job of caring for for the students there. So, so now during this time of your classroom, so the forty five minute sessions, an hour and fifteen minutes, hour and fifteen minutes, yeah. Is it mostly you talking to them or asking questions? How does that work? It depends on on the class. If it's if it's a, a seminar like bioethics, uh, usually we'll have read a couple of articles beforehand, and then we come. Um, I will usually designate one of the students to to maybe present the material to the rest of the class. I'll fill in a little bit, and then we open it up for for discussion. and And my role is to to facilitate discussion. And steer us in in the right direction, but I want students to begin putting their ideas out there and testing that and getting feedback. This works, this doesn't work. I think you contradicted yourself here. And and my my <laughs> my goal is to uh, to help students articulate and refine the kinds of ideas that they they believe sort of deep down, right? And so this is an opportunity for them to test the waters and I can sort of push back and say, well, what about a case like this? What about a case like this? How, how would you take this into account? And so they go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And then they go back and <laughs> try it again and round two sort of thing. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a well, lot see, of fun. I'm thinking about that person that we talked about earlier, that they've, they've showed up at a Hillsdale College and they're not conservative. Yeah. And now they're in this philosophy class with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, on a more secular campus, and you're saying that yours is secular to some degree. Oh, it's it's a Christian yeah. it's a Christian school. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but at a more secular school, yeah. Then the professor would be taking them in a totally different direction. I'm assuming. Well, it uh, it it really depends. Um, it really depends on the instructor. Philosophy, philosophy on the whole as a discipline, has really been amenable to serious discussions about truth and values and ethics. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's, that's one reason why I was attracted to philosophy. Even if people don't come from a religious perspective, uh, the discipline of philosophy is so historically saturated with, with just great thinkers and great ideas and a commitment to truth that even if someone doesn't share the religious framework, 
there's there's a lot of shared assumptions and overlap and opportunities for positive discussion. And so um, I think, yeah, philosophy may be different than maybe even the other humanities has still retained its core um sort of mission or objective as we want to discover truth. We want to talk about the big questions and, and, and figure out what, uh, what humans are, what human nature is, what ethics is like. And so I, I think that, uh, yeah, philosophy is, is important in that regard. So one of the, the great fears of, um, parents. Yeah. And do you have children? I don't know. Okay. Well, I do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 uh, um, they've gone through college. Yeah. And what happens is that you've raised these children in church and you've raised them a certain way and then they go off to college and all of a sudden they got these ideas, where'd this stuff come from? Hmm. And that's the great fear of Christian parents. You send them off to a secular college and next thing you know they're coming home telling you things that, no, this is not what we taught you. Yeah. And so now uh, these parents have sent them to Hillsdale College Yeah. because they're thinking now maybe i'm wrong but they're thinking that if i send them to hillsdale they're not going to come back believing something different right right than uh, what i sent them there believing yeah now i did go to college i went to bible college i've also been to sacred college uh tcc here in tallahassee right and i remember some some classes and and the thing about it when i was going through these classes i was an ordained minister hmm. And uh, I remember some very heated discussions with <laughs> some of these teachers because they were absolutely bent on yeah. uh, changing concepts of young people. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the there were many classes to where the classes became pretty much me and her. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and all the other students go, oh, great, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be those two again. But those are things that, that parents – are concerned about, to my Christian parents are concerned about. Yeah. So, uh, I, what I guess what I'm, my whole point is the fact that you, you as a Christian believer, yeah, even though you're teaching philosophy, mm-hmm. and you said you do guide the yeah <laughs> the, the lectures somewhere yeah some way, you're you're gonna make sure it doesn't go. Am, am I am I wrong here? Oh, I, I there there are definitely when 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 we've got a case of a, a clear right and wrong answer or clear better and worse, I I want students to come away more well equipped to believe the true thing. I don't I I I think it's sort of um, it is definitely not the right way to teach where you just give students a bunch of different positions and let them pick for themselves or because they're not going to learn anything that right, way. Right, then they're yeah. not going to learn. Yeah. Um, so I think I think when it comes to education, if if the answer so for example in a math class you wouldn't just go to a math class and have your math professor tell you well you know here's a here's a math equation here's fourteen different answers and you know you pick which one's right right that that <laughs> we don't do that with science we don't do that with history um, and I think with ethics it's important that we help students uh, see ethical truths as well and so uh-huh. part part of a good ethics curriculum should make students better people. And so I think part of what that includes is uh, a better grasp of the appreciation of human dignity. And a reason why they believe what they believe. That's right, yeah. Not, yeah. not just because this is what I've been taught, right? but this is why I believe what I believe, because right. uh, Brother Paul has helped me right. to establish my own thoughts. Right. And of course, that's what philosophy is kind of all about, isn't it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about... Um, it's about the pursuit of wisdom uh, and wisdom being uh, 
both excellence in terms of living and excellence in terms of thinking well. And so trying to understand reality as it is, trying to understand uh, the nature of justice and what are my obligations to my fellow man, how do I live well as a human being, how do I exercise my capacities in the appropriate ways and, and live in a temperate way and, and, and restrain and things like that. And so the, the ancient conception of philosophy is all about, it's not just head knowledge, it's about living well in the here and now. It's about daily practical wisdom. Now, what about the relationship with God? Yeah. I mean, is that part of, of where you're, you're coming from here? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do think that uh, part of what it is to live a good human life is, I mean, God created us for relationship with God. And so if, if there's no, a life without a sort of significant religious component is going to be impoverished in a significant respect. So I, I do think that faith is integral to, and, you know, human excellence and living right, well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now, it's something you just said. I want to make sure we get it clarified. So Hillsdale College would consider them to be a Christian college. Oh yes, yeah, okay, yeah. They the the official term is it's a non-sectarian Christian college. Okay, yeah. So okay. it's not Protestant. It's not Catholic. It's not Orthodox. It is it's a Christian college without any explicit affiliations. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, but the 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 core values. Right. It's 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 yeah. a. The Judeo-Christian values and the Greco-Roman philosophical tradition. Right, because, yeah. I mean, you think about this. I mean, like I said, I'm talking about, I, I heard about Hillsdale College through the, through the big talkers. Right. Rush Limbaugh, who's Christian, uh, Mark Levin, who's Jewish. Yeah. And they're all saying, hey, this is a great place. Right. So, so it's not, and I understand that, and that, this shows that way. Right, <laughs> we don't, right. We don't talk uh, the doctrine. We, yeah. leave, we leave that out. I let you, you could, you get that when you go to church. Right. <laughs> we're going to hear, we're going to learn things, and we learn a lot of, a lot of history yeah. about things. And of course, I always like to hear what people's heart, I want to hear their heart, their mm. passion for what it is that God's got them doing here on this earth while you're here. What's, yeah. what's God laid on your heart? And, uh, to me, as I'm listening to you and, and I'm watching you, you, when you're talking about teaching these young people, so you get excited about that. I do, yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's what I it's what gets me up in the morning. Sure, I love doing that. Sure, yeah, it is. I didn't think I was going to be an educator, even when I went into philosophy. I didn't think that would be the part of it I'd enjoy the most. I really thought it'd be the reading, the contemplating, the researching, and I love all that stuff. I really do. But the ability to to form young minds and to have discussions and teach and see students wrestle with a concept and get it or come to office mm -hmm. hours or grab coffee and just say, Hey, I want to talk about this, you know, Plato's Euthyphro dilemma. I, I just, yeah. I love that. That's the stuff that you really, mentioned really earlier. Yeah. And you said it a couple of times. Um, the, what did you call it? Uh, the great writers or something. What did great books? The great books. Yeah. Okay. How do we determine what is a great book? There's actually, there's actually a history, um, I think it was in the 60s or 70s, one of the Harvard uh, presidents put together a, a set of the classics, the books that he thought every, every American should read. Um, and and he, he sort of put those together as a basic rudimentary curriculum in great books. And now different places will, will carve them up differently, but you usually get your typical, your Greek and uh, Christian philosophy, you get your... Um, the classics in English, you get sort of uh, the Leibniz and, and Newton and things like that. So essentially, you could think of it as these are the books that have withstood the test of time, mm -hmm. books that 
uh, people appreciate and have discovered are conveyors of wisdom about human nature and um, justice and philosophy and things like that. And we approach that from the lenses of English and philosophy and theology and history to give students a you know, a bunch of different perspectives from which they can see and analyze the same core questions about human nature and justice and God in themselves. I'd be curious. Yeah. I, I doubt that I've read any on that list, but, well, but I'd be curious of, of the list, you know, to, just to see who they are. And Dickens, maybe read a few of them. Dickens, uh, C.S. Lewis, maybe. I think I have read some C.S. Lewis stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, any Plato? I, 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 I no, I'm an avid reader, but I'm I kind of lean toward history. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I, I love, uh, and in uh, different uh, types of uh, stories, I like stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of them, I like I like history in the aspect that you put it in the perspective of okay, like for instance, I I read the one uh, the the team of rivals, hmm. you know, with Abraham Lincoln, the yeah. ones who he ran against, he put him in his administration. Right. Those type of things fascinate me. Sure. And so, uh, I would probably be fascinated by some of the books that you've written. I, and I, and, and if I had the list, I'd be, well, hey, I read that. I'll make sure I'm, to give it to you. How <laughs> smarter than I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them were written before I think 1900. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. Usually old books. Yeah. Books that, uh, that, as C.S. Lewis would say, have withstood the test of time. There you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, growing up uh, in the farm in Kentucky, uh, upstairs, there was all kinds of old books laying around. I don't know where they come from, and I'd pick them up and read them. <laughs> so I may have read one of them somewhere online. Okay. What's the third one? Philosophy of Mind. Philosophy of Mind. Yeah. All right. Now, what is that? That is basically trying to answer the question of what is the mind? What is the soul? And what's its relationship Ooh. to the brain? Yeah. Does the Bible get in that much? Uh, we don't. So, we, we try to approach these questions from non-religious perspectives. So, we... Uh, but even as a historical document. Well, I mean, there... Uh, Students will uh, will often try to bring in the Bible in, in class and things like that, and, and there is there is um, some use for that. But we want to keep separate theology and philosophy, and so just to, just to help students see that the questions that have been raised, some answers have been given that are that are compelling or not compelling, but even outside of uh, you know making use of specific textual proofs in Scripture. Do you find yourself diagnosing people? <laughs> what do you mean by diagnosis? I'm talking about you just meet somebody and, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm a philosopher here. I'm a, you're trying to pick his brain. You ever, you ever do that? Oh, I'll, I mean, I uh, I think I'm cursed with uh, the inability to ever just listen to someone talk. I'm always thinking about a potential objection or something that didn't follow or. <laughs> well, but, uh, <laughs> it, it, it would be kind of hard for you not to. Yeah, because this is how you're driven. You're, you're wired this way. Yeah, and, and yeah. so you you wonder what is it makes this guy tick over here? Yeah, and that's I can right. imagine where your brain's gone talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. That's yeah. Okay. So here you are. You've got these precious young minds coming in, mm -hmm. sitting there in front of your classroom. You you have the opportunity to mold them. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a tremendous opportunity. Now, okay, so you're new. Now, did you did you teach other places before you went to Hillsdale? I taught at Florida State and FAMU okay. and TCC and a couple other colleges up in the north before, okay. uh, but just part-time. This is my first full-time job. Okay. So the opportunity to be able to watch a class 
develop and change yeah. in a year's time. Yeah. What's that like? It's incredible. I, I love the ability to... The college is small enough that everyone sort of gets to know each other very quickly. And uh-huh. I get to see students in, in different contexts or right. multiple classes over different terms. And uh, I think I think that's how education is supposed to be, done in that sort of community, uh, very individualized and tailored. And uh, it happens both inside the classroom and outside of it. And so I think that that's another reason to add to, to my list of things that I love about Hillsdale uh, that I can teach. And it's not just, the teaching is not just compartmentalized where I, I do my teaching and then I go home, but really everything is integrated. I'll, I'll teach a class on uh, abortion and then there'll be a talk that evening by a doctor who's coming to give, you know, here's here's the latest on, you know, technologies and things like that. Or um, it, it the conversations happen all over the place, both mm-hmm. inside the classroom, outside, and everybody is just asking the questions, having the discussions all the time. And it, it's a very rigorous, edifying campus feel. So now you said you you did a, if you were to do a class on abortion, yeah. So you could do that. That that would be your topic for the day. We not? we spent two weeks on abortion, really, in, in my bioethics class. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. so on on any any given day when the students show up, yeah, you may have a topic that you're going to teach on. That's right. I mean, yeah. abortion could be one. Uh, uh, what are some of the others? Genetic engineering. Um, Patient privacy, doctor's conscience, okay. uh, what is health, what is a disease. So, so you have your perspective yeah. that you're teaching them. Well, what, what we do is we I assign a couple of articles. Usually, here's, so I did it with abortion. We, we read sort of the strongest arguments in favor of abortion, and then we looked at where they went wrong. And so I had students, I want to expose students to the best arguments on the other right. side. And so we read that and students go, oh, okay, that seems like a good point, but maybe her reasoning was a little bit unclear over here or this doesn't follow in this part. Um, and so I, I want students to begin to, a lot of my students coming in are pro-life already, uh, but they haven't really articulated the the reasons and the justification for why. And I do, I want to encourage my students to, to continue to be pro-life. I just want to expose them to the best arguments on the other side. Because if they know why they believe what they believe, they'll be better able to articulate it that's right yeah to, to someone else that's right yeah and that's i can see the importance but what you're telling me here is that that you you do have your uh bent on it is that the sure right way to say it? yeah and and you can present it that way yeah i i don't i don't want to present anything as just my view um if if students ask me what my opinion is, I'll tell them. Um, but I, I want to teach students if something is true. I want to teach it as true. Here's right. here's just this this view has the best argument in support of it. But there are a lot of times where it's not as clear cut, mm-hmm. and so I don't I don't want to present it as if as if it is easy or neat and tidy, and there may be some gray areas. So I want to to complicate things where it needs to be complicated, and so show students that maybe it's not as easy as they once thought. But if it is clear, and if it is a matter of, well, we just need to appreciate human dignity more here and respect it, then I want students to come away actually the believing thing about that. it is that, again, you're able to put a perspective from a Christian values perspective, whereas at a secular college, it's going to be just a reverse. Well, I mean, that. yeah, the, the nice thing about um, philosophy is that I, I don't have to rely solely on, on scripture or Christian revelation. We can... We can amass philosophical arguments in support of positions like the pro-life position or the position that, you know, 
there are such things as moral truths in the world. I don't have to rely solely on revealed revelation. And I can, I can rely on assumptions that even secular folks will, will grant. And the thing about it is, students, you're teaching, you're not teaching them to be philosophy teachers. You're teaching them to think. That's right. Yeah. Because they're going to go do something else. That's I mean, right. They usually have a different, totally field studies that they're going to be following through. Hopefully they don't become philosophy teachers because there are no jobs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this has been fun. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having me. <laughs> uh, we're down to just a, we have a prayer before we go. And, uh, just for the radio audience, this is the Gospel on the Radio Talk Show. I only told you that once during the show because we've been busy here today. Join me every Sunday morning here at 8 o'clock here on 94.1. But we always close the broadcast out with prayer. Father God, I'm so thankful for this opportunity to share the gospel any way we can. And across these airwaves, I thank you for Brother Paul and his willingness to come and talk to us. And Father God, I pray over this radio audience. Father God, I pray for their families. I pray, God, for their lives, their testimonies. Lord God, a hedge of protection about them and their loved ones. Father, we pray for our churches today. We pray for our pastors as they go to those pulpits. Lord, let an anointing flow from them. And Father God, I praise you, Lord, for your love. And I pray for America and for peace around the world and for peace in the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Paul, thank Amen. you so much for coming and being part of the show. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. And until next Sunday morning, may the Lord bless you.